It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Broadcasting live from Florida's capital city, this is the Jeff Cameron Show, brought to you by Orange Theory Fitness on Real Talk 93.3. Now, stop what you're doing and listen closely. It's time for the Jeff Cameron Show in five, four, three, two, one. This would be the Jeff Cameron Show right here on 93.3 Real Talk Radio, War Chant TV, and our house. That's what's going on today. A little pre-record. Got to get that out of the way. Uh, let you all know the deal there as uh, your boy is on his way to New Orleans. And, of course, the last time we were in New Orleans, Tom, it was glorious. It was glorious. Florida State beat LSU. The fans showed up. That was uh, a packed house. Florida State all over the streets of New Orleans. This time around, it's just the Cameron family. Uh, I will say, I am kind of curious. Think it's anything close to 50-50 in Orlando? 50-50? Yeah, I mean, that's a fan base that really travels, and this is a game that has national, well, not national title per se. How about college football playoff rematch potential implications? Yeah, that's true. You could see them a a second time. So uh, if LSU was maybe in the first season of Brian Kelly and they didn't know what they had uh, maybe it's 60 40 Florida State but I yeah I think both teams have playoff aspirations here so both are going to travel yeah Orlando won't have the same sort of pizzazz obviously that New Orleans did actually <clears throat> I credited Orlando when we were there uh, for the bowl game against Oklahoma um, you and I were pretty impressed with um you know, uh, well, how far Orlando's come along. And I gave him credit. I said it on the air. I was like, all right, guys, you're doing all right. But one thing I can't give him credit for, and I really wish they would just bulldoze it, that stadium's awful. And it's um, it, it's it's not going to – listen, the Superdome in New Orleans is not a great stadium. Uh, it's a reminder that these two teams should have had a home and home. <laughs> that, that Listen, I love New Orleans, and we had a great time, and, and it's a fun city. Uh, but you really – we all would have been better off had this been in Baton Rouge and Tallahassee, Florida. That's what you're reminded of. 
Yeah, I don't think there's any question there. So, you know, you would have, you know, an LSU takeover at a local bar here in town. That would have been fun and vice versa. And instead, what you'll get uh, is a Bourbon Street. Well, the Knowles, I saw more Florida State people on Bourbon Street than I did LSU fans. I did too, by far. And that's probably because you could just drive over day of if you live in Baton Rouge or other parts of Louisiana. So perhaps in the same way, if you're at, I don't know, Epcot on the Friday before yeah, the it's game, be LSU, yeah, I see a lot of purple and gold. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, that's kind of the fun part, though, because you might spot me around the world at Epcot on a Thursday or a Friday before the game. Uh, I think Gene Williams and I will be going down. We haven't announced our plans formally, but for a sound check with some of the things that we're going to do. So we might sneak down. I might be doing a JCS a day or two early from O-Town. I like uh, it. But the thing is that, you know, I didn't get to go experience the game inside the Superdome last year. You did. Yeah. Um, and that's okay. That's not a complaint. I'm so used to watching it on a monitor on a screen at this point, And we did so for the watch alongs. Uh, but I never get that extra kind of game day feel to it. It's all about the lead up for me. So I think the lead up is going to be similar on church street. That'd be my guess. Uh, but that's not the same thing as bourbon street or the French quarter. No. Not nearly the same. No, it's not. Um, I'll, we, we'll talk about it. We have all summer to talk about it. I just was thinking about it when we were, uh, you know, just at, at the outset here, I, I will say that obviously we got to address the, uh, the shutout last night and Florida state's loss to Oklahoma. Uh, and, you know, we both said yesterday on the show it would be uh, a difficult task, a tall task. I didn't want to discredit the Knowles uh, because they're such a good team and they're certainly a likable bunch and they have an elite player uh, or two. And so, you you know, if you and if if one of those players is a, is a pitcher, you, you got a chance. Um, but alas, last night, I just I can't get past how bad uh, college baseball and college softball umpiring is. We've had a multitude of examples. And listen, Florida State didn't lose because of that. Uh, they, 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 they lost. Oklahoma's better. Um, but, man, that would have been first and second, nobody out on the strike three call or the strike call. It's uh, – yeah, that's an awful – I mean, God, dog, guy. You really – you can't make that call. You cannot make that call. And that ball is a foot and a half outside. Yeah. It's, that- not, it's not close. Yeah, that was the woman who uh, umpired Florida State, Tennessee in the semifinal as well. And it's just that was a moving strike zone. This was just a ludicrous one. Uh, I called it the 50 cent strike zone because of 50s first pitch. That's essentially what was called strike two. Just ridiculousness in the other spot in the other box. It is a consistent issue in collegiate sports. It is it is. It, it is a plague in college baseball and college softball as robot umpires become more legitimized and. Uh, I think at that point, if they're legitimized, it'll become less expensive. Uh, I think that's something you got to institute. Even if there is an area you want to put in the rule book that there is a a gray area that the robots can say is a strike because you want to move the game along. There's not as much skill uh, as there is at the major league level or the professional level of softball, the equivalent of that. Then that's fine. But my, my big frustration, and this is overly simplistic, I get it. But the ball is the size of Jupiter. If Correct. the baseball is the size of Earth, it is. It's just massive. And Dr. Mario will tell me that's not the case at all. That the ball would be a beach ball. But you get the point. It is a giant, giant ball. And the strike zone is relatively the same to baseball. And if you are that incompetent or inconsistent, whichever way you want to phrase it, 
that's hard to take for me, man. And it, this is an umpire who, again, we just experienced for the Tennessee game, and it was no better in that particular contest. Florida State got some calls. Uh, Mac, Mac Leonard got some calls in the first three innings that were as egregious. But in the situation that Florida State was in, and when you have to stack a house of cards together to beat Oklahoma, any one of those calls that goes against Florida State is by definition more damaging than it would be to Oklahoma, who is a superior team and a superior lineup. I've never umpired, and I always preface my complaints by letting people know that. I I don't have experience behind the plate. I played baseball, not at a high level. Um, but, you know, we've all stood in the box. So I'm just talking about the experience of seeing a ball coming to the plate. It's not – it's just not that hard. I'm just going to say it. I, I can't imagine – to your point, now I think Major League Baseball umpiring might be difficult, and I think uh, to, to a lesser degree college uh, baseball umpiring because you're allowed to really give some leeway there. Um, but But softball umpiring. I'm specifically talking about being a softball umpire has to be the easiest job of all the jobs in in officiating. It's easy. Everything's right there together. There's not a lot of space to cover. I'm talking about the dimensions of the field. I'm talking about plays at the, the speed of the game. Let's be honest, not nearly as fast. I'm talking about the base runners and, you know, all that. It's just not hard. It can't be hard. The ball is massive, massive. You yeah. can't miss it when it's yes, a can. foot. Yes, you can. <laughs> I, I beg to differ. Yes, I, I really think there has to be a mindset involved. It can't be that she just doesn't see it. And if she doesn't see it, well, then she can't be in that job. They have to go through testing. They have yeah. to be able to pass a basic skill level right you have to show that you have some competence i don't know what the test would be but i would imagine you could just have a you know a a pitching machine and have somebody behind the plate and just judge whether or not they have a competent understanding of the strike zone yeah you've had the the broadcast which i thought was actually pretty close to down the middle last night i know yeah i thought so too and they did a good job of pointing out that was a terrible call They have done that several times this particular tournament this year. And I think what's happening is as more money popular. Yeah. Which means more money is being dumped into it, which means these embarrassing moments no longer are, well, that's just the price of being, you know, a fifth rate sport in terms of the money developed. I'm not, I'm not saying that's what I believe. I'm just saying in the money developed, I'm sure there's a lot of BS that these women have had to put up with and they just understand that's the price of doing business. That's not the price of doing business anymore. The price has gone up. So we've got to be a hell of a lot better. And you can hear that frustration throughout the presentation, whether it's on the desk, when their highlights don't work after the Tennessee game from uh, Pam Ward was furious and she should have been to crap like this with the umpires. Our sport, I mean, it's averaging over a million viewers. The ESPN put out the numbers that's before last night's game. I'm sure those numbers got torpedoed by the rain delay, uh, yeah. that you know, and the weather delays. But it has been averaging over 900,000 viewers. The Florida state games against Washington and Tennessee got over a million viewers. And this is on ESPN in some cases, not ABC. That's big time numbers. College baseball ain't going to do those numbers. So we've got to be better with how we present that. And I think that's what, what you're hearing. And they're right. They're right. You've got to be much better in how this is presented. And I'm just hoping that robot umpires, we can put a track man on a field and everybody understands exit velocity and it that's that's in 
uh, college baseball parks, and I know Florida State tracks a lot of stuff. So uh, I'm talking softball. Let's get that back into the strike zone now and, and institute that in the rule book so we can be done with this tired issue, please. I just, I hate it. I hate it as a talk show host because I have really strove over the years to ignore that, to largely put it on the back burner. To, to, I get it is just such a typical and lazy discussion in the world of sports talk radio and amongst fans. Just let's admit it. Every fan base thinks that their team's getting jobbed. Everyone. I've never, you could be watching the same game with two teams. And if you had a microphone in a room full of the opposing fans and Florida State fans, you would hear the exact same complaints about the exact same officials just on the other side. And it's crazy, right? I mean, I usually think fans don't allow for any mistake from an official or an umpire. And I I get tired of it because a lot of times it doesn't have anything to do with how the game plays out. And I hate hearing it. Basketball is the worst because by definition, that sport is really hard to officiate. There are so many bang, bang, borderline. Was his foot moving? Was he in the circle? Was he, you know, that, did he impede him? Was that a hand check? Did he, you know, all that stuff is really difficult. Basketball officiating is very difficult and fans complain about that perhaps the most, I think, because of so many bang-bang plays. Just the block charge call in and of itself, it gets brought up 25 times. Corey never stops talking about it. So it's like this is – that that's a thing. So I try to avoid that. But there's no getting around, and, and this is exactly because the sport is gaining in popularity and more yeah. people are watching it. There's no getting around raging incompetence in softball. Yeah. It's unbelievable, yeah. and I hate it. I hate it because – I just think it's trite. It just sounds so ridiculous. A bunch of dudes complaining about umpiring after they finally got on board with women's softball. You know, I know how it sounds. But now that these eyes are on sets and the sport has grown in popularity and it's more athletic and it's a better played game and all of these things have happened, have come to fruition for women's softball to a point where now you just got casual people tuning in, enjoying the game. Don't ruin it. Just stop doing that. And they ruin it. You can't have what we had at third base in this tournament. You can't have what we had behind the plate last night. And we've continued to see. It's the dumbest thing. I these yeah. are basic, these are basic things. Basic this, things. This is also something that was called out on the television broadcast when the illegal pitches on McKenna Reed were assessed four times. And and Lonnie rightfully clapped it uh right back in, in her interview, which was a borderline finable offense when she when she you know claimed it was a tactic that Tennessee was you know uh, basically they knew they had no shot so they're going to employ a tactic and but the umpires followed the tactic and the umpires took it to a place where even though there's an expert in the booth who is telling you that you can't do this you can't do that you're, gibberish you're is what that person is telling us gibberish right you've got a former pitcher in the booth who says this is ridiculous this is dumb. This is stupid. So, yes, you, there's a lot to clean up. There's one thing I'd say, you know, you could be a casual fan and still be correct about something. Of course. In, in the in the thread last night, I, was do, uh, no, I wasn't doing the game thread because Ira was – he's on site, and so he was going blow by blow. But I was just in there for the conversation, and one Warchamp member said something akin to, I think the umpire's just guessing out there. I agree. That's what it looks like. It because does look like that. If the umpire's not guessing – then the umpire has, 
I, I vision don't know. issues, vision yes. issues, a health concern, a health concern. Yeah. I, my wife is not a huge sports fan. It's why we're sane in my household because I am obviously a huge sports fan and both my boys are huge sports fans. So my wife is inundated with us in front of the big screen watching the NBA finals. How watching, big? How, how big? It's 85 inches. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, my wife is inundated with the screams at the television of the NBA finals, the NHL Stanley Cup finals. We're watching the, the softball, obviously. I watch the Pirates nightly. You know, there's a game on in my household to paint a picture. There's a game on in my household all the time, all the time. If it's not that, it's golf. If it's not golf, it's Major League Baseball. If it's not Major League Baseball, it's the NHL. If it's not the NHL, it's whatever. It's the NBA. It's something is always on. And so I give her a lot of credit because she thinks it's funny. She just keeps doing what she does. She She's like... I don't know. She loves to do stuff around the house incessantly, it seems to me. And that's fine. I don't care. It keeps the place neat. Otherwise, it would be a mess because I'm a dude. And I'm not trying to say that's a woman's role. She just likes to do that. But she occasionally decides to sit down and join us to watch said event, especially if it's Florida State. And in this case, if it's the women competing at a high level in prime time, that kind of, I can tell, that makes her smile. She likes that. She likes that for once we're not watching dudes. We get to sit down and watch these women play a game that is entertaining for all. And she said, is it always this bad about the umpiring? Because she, you know, she she figures I'll know. Is it yeah. always this bad? And she yeah. is the definition of a casual fan. And I said, um, it's not supposed to be, babe. This is a, This is outlandish. And she's like, yeah, well, it's not enjoyable if you don't know what you're going to get behind the plate. I was like, oh, yeah. yeah, yes, correct. Yeah, that's it. And we're all operating with a full understanding that Patty Gasso's clown show of uh, an Oklahoma softball program is far more talented top to bottom than Florida State. So when you are screwed on a call, if you're OU, that is merely a flesh wound. When you are screwed on a call. Still shouldn't happen. Still shouldn't if, happen. But yeah. Still shouldn't happen. No, yeah. but it is merely a flesh wound. You know, if Tiger lipped out at Augusta in 1997, no big deal. It's going to work out. If Constantino Roca lipped out uh, on, <laughs> at Augusta in 1997, that might cost him a lot of money. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not saying that that's the gap, but it ain't a small gap. And so when you get screwed in a situation where you're going to have first and second and nobody out early in the game, no score. Right. And, right. and you could turn that atmosphere into something that works against Oklahoma because now they feel yeah, you the feel it. You world. feel the tension. You feel all of that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that matters. Um, the other moment that mattered to me was, you know, obviously Mac Leonard's line drive down the, the right field line and it's foul by a couple feet. It, you know, that's the third inning uh, or sorry, the top of the fourth. And it would have been two to nothing in that situation. Yeah. And I think then, then cat comes in and we see where the cards lay. There is no guarantee, by the way, and we could talk about that at length, but there's no guarantee that cat throws up zeros against that lineup either. She pitches to contact and Oklahoma specializes in hard hit contact. So yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it, that was a tough situation too, but I think we all agree here that Florida state is hurt more by bad umpiring. If you have an equal amount of bad calls, because our margin of, of victory uh, or the margin to get to victory is so thin, is so fine. And that sucked last night. That was hard. That was hard to watch in those moments.
Yeah, I, I listen. I celebrated heartily when they made it to the championship round. It sounds like such a defeatist thing to say, but I, I thought, well, that's that. You know, it, when it's Stanford not- couldn't, when Stanford couldn't knock off Oklahoma, and they had multiple opportunities to make this uncomfortable and interesting and yeah, and lengthier and more difficult and all those things you need to have happen. I was like, oh man, that was it. They, they, that could have, that could have helped us a lot. Well, it, it's still very possible that Florida state could force a game three and make this interesting. I, I, they're not completely dead in the water. It's no, just, no. yeah. Oklahoma is, they were a four to one favorite for a reason. I yeah, mean, sure. you saw it last night. It's just, you know, it's a hit by pitch to start the bottom of the fourth and five minutes later, you're like, crap, don't even bring in cat. Now it's a lost cause. Oh, once it went, yeah. Once it started getting silly, I was like, just shut it down. Just get out of here and, Lonnie agreed. She went, you know, to the fifth or sixth pitcher in her, in her rotation. Yes, so, she did. Yeah. So yes, like, she did. We'll get him tomorrow. Yeah, that's all you can do. It's the right call, by the way. Yeah. And Cat, just for uh, a number's sake, I looked this up last night. The most pitches that Cat has thrown in consecutive days. 154. 157. Yeah, exactly. So she's going to have to fly past that number. Uh, yeah. You know, earlier in this World, Women's College World Series, I think it was closer to 180 in, in uh, it, it was every other day uh, when you were playing the first two games and Florida State set the tone for itself to be in, in the semifinals against Tennessee. I think it was 90 and 88. Uh, but she might need about 180 to 200 pitches to get through this lineup, which doesn't exactly strike out even if you get them at two strikes and if we could force a game three. But, you know, let's let's see about game two first. Well, and I want to say this for people that don't know, and I'm not a softball expert. I'm, I'm not, and I'm not trying to pretend to be, but it seems self-evident. When you watch the sport, it's not about the arm. Um, That's a natural motion that women use as opposed to an unnatural motion that men use in in throwing a baseball. Throwing a baseball is is unnatural as it gets. Everything about what you're doing is unnatural, and it puts undue stress on your elbow and your shoulders. Uh, It is an extremely, you know, it's an injury waiting to happen. Uh, That's why you see Tommy John as prevalent as it is. that's not the case in softball. Uh, there are women that will throw uh, three games in a row, four games in a row for teams. It happens. It's especially in the postseason. Um, yeah. So it's really more about her legs. Yep. It's all about the exhaustion of having to throw that many pitches, not on the arm, but yeah. on the legs. It's explosive. It's just, yeah. it's such an explosive movement. Yeah. yeah. You lose the bite uh, and you lose the giddy up at the end. And you lose those things that uh, allow for the kind of deception that can dominate a lineup. Uh, and, you know, I don't know what that number is. I don't know that anybody does. Uh, certainly Lonnie would know uh, for Sandra Cock. But, you know, yeah. I got no problems with her throwing 150, 170, 200 pitches if Florida State wins the, you know, well, World Series. I, that's, you're going to have to do it. I, I think she would agree. And I'm talking about Cat. Um, not yeah. trying to speak for her, but this is it. This is the end of her. Yeah, this run. is it. Yeah, it's yeah. You know the question. And you're not going to hurt yourself. No, the question would have been: Do you do that in games one and three, and then right. two is the one that's uh, a Johnny Holstaff, and then maybe Cat could close it if you're lucky enough to be ahead, or do you want an opener? Try and cheat as many innings as you can. Correct. Allow these less experienced, less talented pitchers the opportunity to pitch in lower stakes, meaning you're not, your back's not against the wall in an elimination setting. And Lonnie chose the latter. And it might have been the cumulative effect of all the pitches in the WCWS. I mean, that could be some of the math there too, because again, 
you throw 178 pitches in, in two appearances in three days, but then she threw another 35 against Tennessee to shut the door in that game. So it might have been, Cat, are you 100% tonight? I will be tomorrow. All right, and then we're going to try and figure it out tonight. If we need you to close the game, we'll yeah. come to close the game. And I, so Lonnie, I, I think, was – I get her reasoning. The only point at which you could say – all right, what are we doing here? Is the fourth inning the decision to go to Reed over Mac when when you know it's first sign of trouble and, and the first you know first pitch of the inning is off a thigh and you got a runner on first? That was the only time I think that that's open for debate. Nobody likes to ever sacrifice a game. Yeah, but it happens. It in series sports where there are series, coaches make decisions all the time uh, yep. on math. And they, they, they're like, well, they would never say this to fans, and they're probably not going to say it to the media, but their actions are self-evident. Yeah. You, you, just, you, you know you're not going to win this game barring you win a shootout. You know, like on a night where you run your backup goalie out there, you better score four goals. <laughs> I mean, it's just That's right. kind of what we're doing here, guys. Yeah. Yes, and and the broadcast did a good job again of explaining that that you know and Lonnie has talked in press conferences already this postseason about trying to steal outs. You know, it's like what Coach Ham would do with uh, some of our centers. In the yeah, past. it was hilarious. We would start games with guys that couldn't play. You would start games with guys who'd play eight to ten minutes a night. You know, because you just wanted to steal as many minutes as you could. And if you're up ten to eight at the under twelve. Beautiful, you know, yeah. or as, as we got more offensively gifted, maybe that number was 18 to 12. At right, the right. And you're like, holy cow. So you're spotting us a six-point lead, and we haven't even put our best player on the court who's going to be our sixth man. Like That was that was the thinking. Uh, yes, she abides by the policy. She loves what the Rays do in baseball with openers. She loves their analytics department. She loves what Kevin Cash does and, and that philosophy. And in this case, it means that if I've got a 1 in 10 chance without Cat. I'm going to spend that one in 10 chance in game one. Yeah. And I'm not going to spend a game two or game three. The thing is, I understand both philosophies. You got to stick to it. You know, one of them is, all right, I want cat pitching the first two games. And if we're lucky enough to get to game three, I'll figure it out then because the pressure's on Oklahoma. But she chose the former, which is I want her pitching in an elimination setting. And I want cat to be able to go the distance in games two and game three. And I'm going to give her an extra day of rest to do so. So that's the way we went. Jeff Cameron Show, 93.3 Real Talk Radio, War Chant TV continues. Hello there, podcasters. Oh, don't worry. I won't prattle on for two minutes like I do with some of the other reads. Zaxby's doesn't demand it of me. <laughs> Zaxby's like, look, just tell everybody that we have the best chicken sandwich in all the land. That's easy. I can do that. I can attest to that. A delicious, thick, juicy, tasty Zaxby's chicken sandwich is where it's at. Of course, the strips are a given. You like the strips. We get the strips on game days. The platters are lifesavers. Mm -hmm. If you're going to a party, a pool party, say, this summer, and what do I bring? Just bring a beer giant thing. No. and Zaxby's. Worry about the beer. You bring the Zaxby's. You're going to be the hero. Just uh -huh. make sure you get all the sauces, too. They've got like 97 sauces, and they're all delicious. I don't know if you guys know this. There are 27 Zaxby's in Tallahassee alone. 27. You can't miss them. I think that's true in general in every city in America. They're like so, peach trees in Atlanta. They're everywhere. Look around. Find you a Zaxby's and get after it. By the way, your Tallahassee Zaxby's a proud Golden Chief booster for 18 years. Go Knowles.
Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back guaranteed because with ebay motors you're burning rubber not cash with all the parts you need at the prices you want it's easy to make your car the mvp and bring home huge wins keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com eligible items only exclusions apply the cameron show is a production of the warchant.com multimedia network check out warchant.com today for the latest news inside florida state athletics that's warchant.com now back to jeff on real talk 93.3 i got a question for you and i'm curious because i don't think you watch nearly as much certainly and and that's fine we all have our things that we're watching more than the other but i i've watched uh i had two tvs going last night and uh watched the nba finals and saw jokic Nikola Jokic's uh, masterful performance, and this was a subject uh, across the country yesterday heading into Game 3, um, which basically in one way or another on a variety of sports talk shows and debate shows or whatever, I heard people asking the question, uh, do you enjoy watching Nikola Jokic play basketball? And I thought, what a what a weird thing. It's a weird thing. So... I guess the premise is that there is aesthetically pleasing dominance and then there is ugly basketball um, that, that, that gets the job done and puts up huge numbers but is not enjoyable to watch. So I guess the argument would be something along the lines, far less physically intimidating, but something similar in that it's more enjoyable to watch Michael Jordan dominate a game of basketball or you know, somebody like that, Sean Kemp or somebody like that, even Allen Iverson, who's overcoming huge odds because he's short and he's just crossing people with these incredible handles. Steph Curry is a similar type player, right? Doing things that somebody his size shouldn't do. It's more enjoyable seeing those players and their athleticism dominate a game as opposed to watching Shaq just dunk on people because he's seven feet, 350 pounds, and you can't do anything with him. But I, I don't think the comparison is relevant or fair at all and that Jokic is a seven-footer that routinely brings the ball up the floor and they run all of their offense through him away from the basket. It's a pick-and-roll offense. with It's a two-man game, and he's the maestro. And he can beat you any way you want him to beat you. Uh, if you want to force him to shoot from outside, he will, and he makes it a, a ton of shots. If you want to take the ball out of his hands and and just limit his scoring, fine. He'll have 27 assists in a game. He's always a double-double machine. He's always going to get 10 to 15 rebounds because he's seven feet tall. He also understands angles. I think it's a beautiful game. I don't get what people are talking about. Last night, you're watching a guy put up numbers that are absurd. Uh, You know, obviously, the, the point total is whatever, 32 points. My man had 21 rebounds, 10 assists. Yeah. Yeah. He's got in, in playoffs now, he's got three 30, 20, 10 triple doubles. 
which is one more than the rest of the world combined in the history of the sport. Yes, it's it's only him. Yeah, it, it's, he's basically doing things in some of these triple-double categories or high-double-double categories that Steph Curry's been doing for three-pointers. Like, you're proving that this thing that you thought was never a thing is now something that's very possible. And so I, I think what this particular player is going to do is inspire yet another generation of complete, completely dominant seven footers or six, 10 plus guys that are away from the basket. It, it started decades ago. Yeah. Dirk was great at it. Kevin Durant Dirk, Dirk basically did it. Started yeah. it. Yeah. And, and Kevin Durant is some sort of uh, freak evolution from the Dirk thing that worked out because he was considered to be soft in the beginning. But I, I could understand the idea of watchability versus dominance. Like, for example, I'll use Kevin Durant. I find LeBron James to be far more fascinating and fun to watch than Kevin Durant. And they both have spectacular games, and they both do breathtaking things. But it's the power of LeBron James taking the ball to the basket, along with the velocity on a you know, half-court pass or a block. or whatever. There's a violence to what LeBron does that makes his game to me much more fun to watch than KD. So I can get the premise of the question. The big fundamental was dominant, but he was laden with fundamentals and he pulled down 22 and 18. He'd be like, ah, that's what he does. Great. He's very efficient. But in this case, I have watched a little bit more of Denver Nuggets basketball because they continue to play because they continue to win. It is really cool to see from all spots in the half court, where Nicola can just make a, a giant impact on a game, and it looks so damned easy, and you just know it's not that easy because Miami has a little something for you. Oh, Bam is a real Bam is an elite player. Yeah, yeah, he's a very good player. Yeah, they have some size. Um, listen, this the the modern NBA is a two man game. It's a five out game. Okay, we don't see anything. Offenses aren't you know one three one. We don't see these types of things anymore. You know, I grew up in an era. Centers were post players inside out mm -hmm. and it was all inside out. And so, you know, if you had a dominant big man and fed, they had to double team. Mm -hmm. You're going to kick out. So the, the, the real skill of the big man in the eighties and into the nineties was one of the things that made Shaq an elite player besides sheer dominance was understanding instantaneously where to go with the basketball on a double team. He knew if he could see you coming, you were dead. And one of the rules about guarding elite big men who have vision is you, you have to double in a way that doesn't let them see you coming. So you have your initial defender, and you have to double away from where he's looking. Because if he sees you, he's going to throw from whence you came. Not unlike a blitz in football and a quarterback understanding where the pressure's coming from and the opportunity. This game is an outside-in game now. It is a game that is five out. Everybody sets up their offense five out. I don't like that. I wish they wouldn't do that. It's not as enjoyable. But the rules regarding impeding players are such that if you have wings, you're going to play five out because they can't stay in front of you on the dribble. And if they put their hands on you, it's a foul. So there's no more hand checking. So it, it, I get it. So it's, it's a pick and roll game now. And nobody that I have ever seen play the game of basketball plays the two-man game better, and that includes John Stockton and Carl Malone, 
plays the two-man game better than Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray. Watching those two guys last night and throughout this season is art. It's poetry. It's ballet. It's, it doesn't seem possible to make the passes that Jokic makes. And if he, I don't want to say that he's infallible, but there are so few poor decisions by him in a game yeah. that when it happens, you're stunned. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, the L.A. series, you've got a couple of games in which LeBron and Anthony Davis both go nuts. Yeah. And, and it doesn't matter because he can out-efficient them. Like, you know, and, and it's not – you brought up Jamal Murray. So now they're the first teammates in finals history to both have a triple-double in a game in the same game, which is, that's crazy. It's really surprising given Magic's play. Yes. Yeah. yeah, sure. Uh, but it just tells you, it all starts with one guy. Yeah. That you can have your two principal players. And if you have a Batman and a Robin, and we've talked about that, sometimes there were, you know, super teams built on three players or two. But usually if you have two guys go off that are superstars or stars, then you're going to win. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's just how it is. Especially but, when they're two of the greatest players of all time. Right. And and this is a guy that is strong enough, triggers enough offense all over the court, and commands enough attention in the way of two and three sets of bodies or eyes that that's not necessarily the case. He could be so efficient as one man that he could be two stars when they both have big-time nights. And that's that's the scary thing about what he can do. Now, I don't. I'm not going to pretend that I watched every Denver game. I don't watch 5% of their games, but when the NBA gets to the playoffs, I look at these trends and, and it all comes down to your stars being your stars. It's just that his star is larger and his capability is larger in scope, not because he's tall, but because he could do it all. It's, it's, it's amazing to watch, but I will agree. And I do understand the premise of the question that began the segment, which is, is it as aesthetically pleasing as watching LeBron or Steph or Jordan or Kobe or Dwayne Wade for that matter? No, but it needs to be recognized and it needs to be honored because that's freaking nuts. It's nuts. We've never seen a player like him. I mean, not, not to this extent. Yeah. I, I, you know, I have said it on these airwaves for a very long time. If you're lucky enough in your lifetime to be present for somebody in any sport, that transcends or is preternaturally great. Take it in. You're going to tell your grandkids about it. They're going to be a benchmark. They're going to be the, the talking point. Like, how fortunate have we been to see Michael Jordan and LeBron James? And my, I, I saw both their entire careers. I saw, obviously, I saw Michael at North Carolina. I saw him win the national championship at North Carolina. I can remember it like it was yesterday because I'm old. <laughs> but what I'll tell you is that you, I mean, you can make an argument, a pretty strong one, that those are the two greatest players in the history of the NBA, Michael Jordan and LeBron James. You got to see both those guys, the two, arguably, it is arguable. Um, and anytime it happens, like we've also seen the best shooter of all time. Steph Curry is without question the best shooter of all time. With a grand canyon between him and the next guy. Yeah. It's crazy. It's yeah. crazy. Think about that. And I think we're watching something truly special like that in Nikola Jokic. It does 
It's yeah. just weird the way the remember I read to you that New York Times article, uh, or I talked about it on the air one time when we were we were on together, and the, in Australia there's that academy where they take these tests from these kids and then they funnel them to the sport that they're going to be best at based on how their brain works, yeah. how they see space. It's a combination of things. Obviously, the genetics. If you have the genetics to be six ten, it's going to help. Um, but they want to see: Do you have vision? Do you? How do you do the math in your head? Right. And that is so on display. <clears throat> excuse me. That is so on display with Nikola Jokic. Like that's the difference: is yeah. the math in his head and the spatial awareness. Yeah, th these are the freaks of our time in, in the sense that when I grew up, your size dictated what you could see. Your size dictated what you could do. And that's just not true. You can no. be a giant body and have an understanding of spacing that the best point guard who ever lived had. And now you're in a position to where that will be rewarded and you will be allowed to show those talents because it's not it's not impossible. Like, you know, it, it there had to be somebody to prove that it's not impossible that you could hit threes consistently at 6'11 plus. That is one thing. Then there, it has to be possible that you could be seven feet tall or like this kid out of France who's about to go play for the Spurs, you're seven foot three, and you could be a point guard. Like once these things become accepted, then they can be brought to the highest level, to the elite level. So this is just evolution at work in the game. Cool and that's see, but it's also really quickly, it reminds me, and this is that part time of the year, it reminds me of how lucky we are to see all the greats in tennis that we've seen. I mean, oh, yeah. you go back in the 80s and you've got your own, you know, uh, Rushmore of that decade or that yeah. generation. Yeah. But I remember that Sampras and Agassi was a thing when I was a kid. And it yeah, was sure. so that it, it was on television like the U.S. Open and golf would be. I mean, that was everybody watched it. And then these other guys come out of nowhere and they blow it all out of the water, starting with Fed and Nadal and Novak Djokovic. I mean, at some point, that dude's inevitable. That You just have to be like, all right, fine. I hate him. He's annoying. He's brash. But he just keeps on winning. And this is dumb what he's doing. And this is a weird, yeah. Well, we, what I was going to yeah. say, some of them are more enjoyable to watch than others. Nadal, mm -hmm. if you're just going on entertainment value, Nadal is the most amazing tennis player I've ever yeah, seen. Yeah, because it's not a power game. He, he's, it's just about rallies. Right. Federer is the most graceful player I've ever seen. And then Novak's the most powerful player. You yeah, know, dominant, which one, yeah. Which one do you like to watch the most? What style speaks to you? And, you know, in this case, in basketball, the analogy would hold. I don't know that this is the guy that you would line up to see if you could watch one player in your life play the game. I don't know that Jokic is the first guy that you would see. It'd probably be Steph or LeBron or Michael or whatever, you know, somebody that was more guard-ish or had violent tendencies. But it's no, it's no less dominant. In fact, when this is all said and done, it's more dominant. Yeah, it might be more dominant. Yeah, it's more dominant, but it's not as desirable. That's a good way to answer the question. I, it is. I'm for greatness. I'm for dominance. I'm for all-time transcendence. I'm for these kinds of players that come along and change the game. I want to see that. I want to see somebody capable of that. And I don't care what their aesthetic is. If they're a guard, a forward or a center, like I want to see that I'll take it for what it is. Yes. A gun to my head. You got one style to watch. Well, I'm watching Jordan. I'm watching Michael Jordan. Uh, there's never been anybody in the game of basketball more entertaining than Michael Jordan. He was a freak in every sense of the word, giant hands, 43 inch vertical, 
a competitor beyond reason. You know, he was a jerk. He was also all NBA defensive juggernaut. All He played the game completely, completely. And he worked really hard, so you couldn't hate him because all we ask of our superstars is to respect the game. And he did. He clearly didn't just play for money. You know, like, like that's okay. That's all you can ask for. I'm for that. Nikola Jokic is, is in the category. He's in the category of, look at this freaking dude. What is this nonsense? We've not seen this. He can be a bull in a china shop. He can be a sweet shooter, a no-look passer, a rebounder. He, I mean, damn it, man. It's unreal. Just wanted to point it out because he set a record last night and he did things. By the way, tip of the cap to Udonis Haslam, who's eminently likable. I don't know why, but he is. I just like him. Oddly, there are a number of Gators that I like from that basketball era, unlike the football team that was killing people. Um yeah. I, you know, the, the bad era of basketball, like Horford's a nice guy. He's a, he's a likable player in the NBA and he's been around 150 years and you done his Haslam. It's ridiculous, right? Um, yeah. Joe Kim Noah. What a guy. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Jeff Cameron show 93, three real talk radio or chant TV. <laughs> Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The Cameron Show is a production of the Warchant.com Multimedia Network. Check out Warchant.com today for the latest news inside Florida State Athletics. That's Warchant.com. Now, back to Jeff on Real Talk 93.3. I want to carry this over to next hour and talk about it a little bit. Uh, but I was I, I went down a rabbit hole while I was watching the game last night. I had my laptop up and I was just kind of kicking around and looking at uh, college football articles uh, from across the land. This would be, you know, kind of the off-season prep time where you get into – I used to talk about this uh, all the time, the, the system that I had where I'd go to the bookstore and drink too much coffee and sit in the corner and read all the preseason magazines. Uh, you, we're not quite there yet, but you're starting to enter into that realm of 70-something days until the start of college football, and you're like, oh, it's not that far away, you know? I mean, it's uh, we're getting closer and closer, so you get excited. And uh, so I was doing some of that last night when I saw uh, a projected AP poll from College Football News. And, uh, you know, I can't help it. It is list season. And if you're going to have a list about a future list, I'll check out your lists and guess along with you. And they projected Florida State to be an AP. This was an AP projection based on last year's results, final rankings, and projected, obviously, seasons to come. Florida State weighed in at number seven. LSU weighed in at number six. So there it is. And by the way, the way that preseason poll looked was, and I'm going to name the team. You tell me if you think Florida State is better than that team of the group that's ahead of us, okay? So obviously, we'll find out with LSU. Play them in game one. We're doing this right here, right now? Yeah. All right. Now, I'm going to do much more on the on the other side, but okay. USC, you think Florida State's better than USC? Yes. They're number five. You think Florida State's better than Ohio State? Yes. Ooh. Ooh. Okay. Quarterback. Four. Quarterback. If Now, in two games at the end of the season, if Ohio State plays a team with a pulse and their quarterback is dominant, okay. 
But right now, come on. Okay. Do you think Florida State's better than Alabama? Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> okay. Close. Florida- it's close. Do you think Florida State's better than Michigan? Yeah. They're number two. Yeah. Wrong. <laughs> you think Florida State's better than Georgia? No. Okay. They're number one. So you got us better than everybody but one of the teams in front of us, or two? Uh, Georgia? No, you, you no two, yeah, two. Yeah, one or two, but it's all because of the quarterback question. You know, again, if this is last year's field, and you've got Bryce Young, and you've got uh, the kid at uh, Ohio State, CJ, Brown, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it, you know, if you've got littered, experienced quarterbacks with those rosters and those recruiting yeah. rankings, then yeah. this is this is a moot point. But you don't. And that's why I think Florida State deserves a little bit more of the benefit of the doubt. It's a fun topic. I'm going to go through. I'll look at that top 10. It's interesting. You can look at the entire top 25. There's another aspect of this story that I'm going to go with, too, that I thought was applicable for us to talk about for Florida State fans. But I, I'll do it at the top of the next hour. But I, I just thought it was interesting. I was. I said the same thing when I sat there last night and I was reading that. I went, yeah, okay, you got us at seven. So one of the teams you have in front of us is LSU, and we're going to play them right off the bat. So, you know. I, I, I beg to differ. I would have flip-flopped that. I would have had LSU at seven, us at six, but that's fine. And then I did the same thing. I went through that top five, top seven, and I thought, man, Florida State's better than a more than a handful of these teams. Yeah, I was I was with you on that. Hour number two, forthcoming. Jeff Cameron, show 93.3, Real Talk Radio, War Chant TV.